Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideau, joined as always by my partner, legendary trainer, Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how are you? Good. I just, I'm glad I got here. The subway got, threw me off a little bit today. You know, it's been about 35 years, 30 years since I've been taking a subway and the ferry boat and everything to get over here to meet you guys. You know, not that you made it difficult or anything. You didn't. I love you guys. But, you know, took a ferry to get here. Can't go with the traffic. I would have been, you know, I would have been like that horse that I bet on in the, in one of those big races recently, uh, that would still be going. I'd still be uh, on my way here. But took the ferry over, went to the subway, thought I was doing right. Used to go there, like I said, 30-something years ago, every day to Gleason's gym uh, to train fighters when it was up near the garden. And so I go to... I go to the booth. I say, you know, give me two tokens because I know I got to come back. The guy looks <laughs> at me like I, you know, I mean, like I came out of like somebody just called me out of ice. I feel that way. I feel like I was called out of ice. I, I deserve to feel that way. I think he, he, he looked at me. He said, what? I said, tokens, tokens, two tokens. Hey, he, he looked at me again. Then he throws this card at me. And he says six fifty. Six fifty. It was fifty cents. He goes, Yeah, well it's not anymore. <laughs> All right. Okay. And I so it's glad to be here with you guys. You know what I mean? Glad He's starting to, to settle down now after the Alex fight is over, the kind of um the excitement and hype has died down a bit. How are you feeling now a week on? Or two weeks on? No, good. I mean, I like I said when we did the last one after the fight initially, um, I just want people to. Look, we all want what we want. We have our own, you know, pride and about things professionally. I just want people to know and get a chance to see how good he is. And in that fight, you know, uh, we never really quite got that opportunity. I to show how good he is and I just want to show how good he is because to me I think he's special um, and there's it's no excuses not taking nothing away from the other guy he was an awkward guy and uh, the opponent that we fought and then it ended you know in a way that nobody's satisfied with that's all yep. but 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 at the end of the day you move forward you know that's you, the nice thing about you, boxing you is forward. he's going to get another chance soon to show yeah, us, yeah. To and, show and, us you, and you and you count your blessings you count your blessings you know, uh, that, that you are able to move forward and you're able to, uh, go down the street to the next place. Any idea on timing for the next fight? No, I mean, the way that Top Rank's been doing it and, you know, obviously in conjunction with Agus, the manager, uh, we've been fighting every four months, it looks like, but no, no schedule yet, no idea yet, you know, um, they'll figure it out and then we'll, we'll have a discussion. You know, Agus does a great job, and uh, he'll talk with Aram and Top Rank and figure out what, you know, what what is next on the agenda. Yeah, we're talking about Teddy's fighter, Alex. If, if, if Alex it does Vosdick. take time to get going, my first thought, you know, the teacher part always, like, just jumps in there. Yeah. You can't help it. You can't keep it down. Jumps in there. You know, my thought is if it's too long, I'll do a mini camp. Just to get back with him for one week, yeah, five days, mm -hmm. just to go over things, go over things from the last fight, yeah. you know, go mm -hmm. over things that we want to obviously touch on for the next, you know, 
the yeah. next moment. That's well, all. Speaking of Agus Clemens, uh, you and Agus were nice enough to arrange tickets for uh, my son and I to uh, Vasily Lomachenko's most recent fight last Friday in, uh, at Staples Center against um, Anthony Million Dollar Crawler. And, uh, yeah, huge thanks to Agus and, and, and you, Teddy, for arranging that. We had a great time. And uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the fight. I mean, I thought that Vasily looked un- unbelievably polished. He did exactly what he had to do. He got him out of there quickly. And, you know, credit to Crawler. I think he was way overmatched. Very tough kid, not taking anything away from Crawler. I, I have a lot of respect for him, but Vasily Lomachenko just looked like he looks like he's operating on another level. And I was curious what your takeaways were from the fight. Yeah, first of all, we're glad you were there and uh, glad that your son, you know, got to enjoy his first fight. Boy, he's not spoiled. His first fight, he gets to go to Lomachenko and sit pretty up close. And his Front first, row. And his first baseball game was? Red Sox beating the L.A. Dodgers to win the World Series about, you know, four or five months ago, whenever it was. Kids living good. Lucky guy. <laughs> Kids living good. Yeah, I got a funny story for you. So we're sitting in the front room. We're talking to some of um, Lomachenko's friends and fans. And um, one guy leans over and says to my son, oh, this is your first fight? And my son says, yeah. And he goes, what do you think? And and my son looks at him dead serious and says, my dad could beat both of these guys. And the fans immediately <laughs> move forward to another place of uh, location. Uh, Let's get out of here. I'm just enjoying this moment where he still thinks that I'm the best at everything. Well, that's what sons are supposed to think. Yeah. With their fathers, uh, especially when they're brought up by fathers who bring them up the right way. Um, they feel that way. And it's it's a great thing. You know? uh, it was it was so much fun. I'm really uh, sincerely grateful to both of you guys uh, for arranging those tickets. Pleasure. It was really fun. You know, as far as the fight, again, we're here to talk to you guys, right? And um, straight talk. You know, not worrying about if we're hurting someone's feelings. Not trying to hurt no one's feelings. We're respectful of people's feelings. We both are, but you know, either you're gonna. Talk straight, or you're gonna get cockeyed, and you know, and uh, I don't want to get cockeyed. I, I get cockeyed by accident sometimes, so I don't need to be going in where I'm asking people to listen to me when they have other things they can do. If I'm not gonna talk just exactly the way that I feel it is, I again, they came all the way across the pond, crawler, and um, you know. It's a great story. The storylines were all there before the fight. You know, uh, he had gotten hurt, breaking up a Berkeley, and, you know, terrific story, good person, no doubt about it. And all of that stuff and the promotion and everything else. But how do you come there? And again, it's my eyes. Doesn't mean that they're perfect, but they work for me in this business 40 years. And I'm seeing a guy that had no idea no plan like like how do you go in this moment again how do you and not have a plan what was the plan the first two rounds to run around the ring which he's never done before okay in there was a different level i get it but have a plan have a strategic idea of how you're going to go about this no matter how big an underdog you are and so he runs he moves around for two rounds survival, all right? Well, I'm going to put a different word on it. So he's surviving. So that's the plan. Okay. Does It seem like it was a plan that came to mind 
after a few seconds. So he gets in there, he survives for two rounds, and then the third round, I got to make a stand now because this running around stuff ain't working. So he makes a stand and gets crushed. Uh, where's the plan? I, again, I understand the disparity in talent. Nobody got to tell me that. I get it. But where's the plan? Yeah, I mean, upsets are pulled off. They're pulled off with plans. Plans. Um, so I didn't see a plan. And and then I see a referee. And again, the guy's my friend. But again, what are we kind of pledged that we were going to do here? Tell right? the truth. Right? I mean, he imposes himself in a fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, did his ego, uh, I mean, he didn't get enough things said to him nice that week. I, I mean, all of a sudden, I, I don't even understand what he said. Like, he was sitting on the ropes, so he caught it and knocked I didn't see him sitting on what, for a tenth of a hundredth of a millisecond? He, his backside was on him. Really? You're looking that close to, to jump in there instead of just monitoring the fight? You're talking when, he, uh, it, when, he, when he's, he scored a knockdown round. claiming that the ropes were keeping him up. Yeah. yeah, but, but yeah it looked like he was stopping the fight. It makes it, he did it so dramatically. Yes. It almost makes you, if you want to be cynical, and I'm sorry that uh, this business in life has made me a tiny bit cynical sometimes, maybe, maybe. But listen, he's a good guy, the ref. He's a good ref. I've, I've said good things about him on ESPN for years before he got to where he's gotten to now. But to go and jump in there, at that moment, in that dramatic way, <laughs> everyone got confused. The commissioners were confused. Loman Chekhov thought the fight was over. I thought the fight, were in the ring. Everybody thought the fight was over. Yeah. It was almost like he was looking for a moment to inject himself in a fight instead of monitoring the moments to just keep things sailing smooth. Instead of looking for a moment to jump in there, to to interject himself. It almost looked that way. Listen, only he knows in his heart. But whatever it is, it it was, it was, it didn't seem right. It it put a delay in the fight. It it put an impossible intangible. At the end of the day, you you could have took buckets of intangibles and poured it all over the ring. It wasn't going to change anything. This was going to be what it's going to be. But it, it almost had that because... I've seen it. I saw it in the, I saw it in the Ward, Arturo Gatti fight, where one of the greatest fights ever. It might have been the first one. It was either the first or second, but the first one was one of the greatest fights in any era. Unbelievable theater, like reading a book chapter by chapter, and a dramatic book. And in that fight, for a split second, it looked like it was over. Yeah, it was. It looked like it was over. And then all of a sudden it wasn't over. And listen, I can tell you, when you have to change gears like that, when you emotionally and mentally, you're in a fight, and then all of a sudden it's over. You you let go. And now you got to pick up again. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's almost impossible sometimes. Lomachenko didn't go that dramatic, so it didn't quite get to that. But in a fight, especially in a competitive fight, you think it's over, you take a breath. You say it's over. Just like in life, you take a breath sometimes. I remember when I was doing the, I was doing a choreographer in Poland for a movie called Triumph of the Spirit with Willem Dafoe. I was teaching him, I, I was a trainer to teach him to box. It was a, it was a movie about the Holocaust. Very tough movie. And we were doing boxing scenes. And we're doing the boxing scenes and we're 
we're there for a month, and every day we're rehearsing it. Every day we're we're on high alert to be ready to be the best we can, and we're rehearsing it. And I choreographed all the scenes. I never did it before. I figured it out. I wrote them all out, and step by step, it's like a dance. And we we put the fight together, and finally we get to the last day of shooting, and we finally finish. The split second we finished, I couldn't remember the I couldn't remember the choreography. We had to do another one to, for a pickup, you know, like a pickup thing for some. Yeah. And then the director came, hey, Teddy, great job. Hey, Willem. Yeah, we just got to do it. I said, do what? Huh? Oh. Well, we just got to do it. I don't remember it. I forgot it. How, is, how's that? Because I let go. Because it was so intense. We let go. It's human nature. So you're in a fight, like the Arturo Gatti yeah. ward fight. And the fight was stopped. And then all of a sudden, I think it was Mickey Ward's side that got affected the most. He had to pick up again. Yeah. In the last round. I think it was the eleventh or twelfth round. He had to pick up and he had trouble. Yeah, yeah. He had trouble. It was like trying to get your Jeep out of the snow. He was the gears weren't clicking. He because he had let go. So there was a chance that that could have happened in this fight. It was too one sided. So it didn't get to that level. But it interrupted the flow by injecting himself. In that kind of dramatic way, the referee in the Lomachenko fight. Lomachenko thought it was over. You saw him. Go, Lomachenko I was jumped up it. on the ropes. The commissioners came in the ring. It was like chaos for a minute. And a lot of people, like the ref wasn't, didn't give clear instructions. I mean, it became clear that he was scoring it a, a knockdown and the ropes kept him up. But like you said, it was very confusing and it was chaos. And it could have, it could have been more than confusing. That's why I went yep. through what I just went through, yep. but it didn't go there. So it got to the fourth round, and then Lomachenko uh, finished business. You know, he finished business. But what I saw, besides a guy with no plan and a guy that was just outgunned and a guy that outclassed, all that stuff, I saw something special. Yeah, people are going to say, what did you see, Ted? You saw him in there with an inferior opponent. I saw pressure put on a guy from the beginning with a plan with Lomachenko where he's walking in the rain without getting wet. Yeah, baby. He's going towards the guy. You don't see this too often in boxing. You're going toward in anything. You're going towards a guy. You're being aggressive, but you're not getting hit. You're not letting him touch you. Yeah. You're controlling his heart, his soul, his mind. You're making yourself an irresistible force. You're making a guy feel that I can't do nothing. You're taking the air out of the ring. The air is, you know what the air is? You know what the air is? It's called hope. You're taking hope. You're draining it out of the ring. And you're making him feel like, I can't stop this guy. I can't control this guy. There was nothing. A lot wasn't happening. But what he was feeling was a lot. He was feeling like, I have no say in this matter. Oh, my God. You know how devastating that is? I don't know if people realize this. Really, this this is the specialness of this fight. And he did it for two rounds. And you could see the guy deteriorating. You could see the guy just starting to disappear in front of you. It was like watching a small puddle on a very intensely hot summer day evaporate right in front of you. It was The puddle was there one minute, it was gone the next. The guy was there one minute, he was gone the next. Gone. That's what was special about it. You saw, you're watching a fight and you could actually see the vapors of the man's 
hope, the vapors of the man's will. You could see it being vaporized. You could see it lifting up, kind of like one of those movies when a guy dies and his spirit leaves. Yeah. And you're watching, you see the spirit leave and the body's still there. Yeah. But the spirit's going up into, up, hopefully it's going up, not down. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, so, and that's what it was like. I'm watching, I'm saying, look, the guy's will, the guy's spirit, the guy's core, the guy's soul is, is being lifted. It's being taken away. And there's nothing but an empty body. And when you have an empty body, guess what's next? The body's just waiting for a place to fall. That's what I saw. And then the third, fourth round, it was, it made a stance, right? Yep. Made a stance waiting to fall. And it fell. It, it got wait. hit big shots. I got it. But the body was empty. It was yeah. already, it was, it was vaporized already. And, and I've said it on this show. I've said it on ESPN the week, uh, the week of the fight. I said it when I was doing Sports Center hits all last week saying he's the taker. He being Lomachenko. Yep. He's the taker of men's souls. That's what I meant. He, and again, not not to take anything away from Kralla, I just think Lomachenko's operating on another level. He was so. But he that's looks, the part, yeah. though. That's special. Yeah. You don't see too many guys. You see great, magnificent boxes take you apart piece by piece. But to do it aggressively and to evaporate you that way. I mean, Duran did it. Yeah. Roberto Duran as a lightweight. Yeah. A lot of people think, oh, he was a, he was a junkyard dog, Ted. You know, he was a sick and destroy. No, no, he was more than that. He was a great boxer. Definition of a boxer. Hitting and not getting hit. Whether you do it aggressively or like Ali did it, using the whole ring, the whole, the, the, the whole world. It doesn't matter. And Lomachenko had some moments in there where he threw some combinations, stepped over, hit him with a hook. It was just the footwork was unbelievable, even to like best feet no business. Even to people who aren't hardcore boxing fans that were sitting around us, when he put on some of those displays and threw some of those combinations, you could just hear the people like, "My God, did you see how fast that foot that footwork was?" He was in one position throwing a combination, step around. Now he's hitting him from another angle. It was unbelievable, and the finish itself was devastating punch. Looked like it caught him right behind the air and it knocked him out right on his face it was actually a little bit scary towards the end he went down hard and it took a little bit to get up but um man he closed the show it was just from Lomachenko's perspective I don't think he could have hoped for a better performance um what do you think's next for him and do you think that there's anyone realistically that can challenge him in that weight division no in the lightweights, I'm not really right this moment. I mean, you you got that kid who's what twelve and old that top rank also has. He's untested. Uh, uh, Lopez. Lopez. Right? So Tiafoma Lopez. Interesting story. He was there. So after they announced the uh, you know the fight's over and Tiafoma gets into the ring, and I guess he's gonna call out Lomachenko. But to Loma's credit, he's such a professional. Didn't even acknowledge him. Just moved right along. Called out Mikey Garcia instead. Yeah, I mean, and, like this guy didn't earn the right yet. Yeah, yeah. And credit I mean, to Lopez for even being there jumping up in the ring i mean you know you're trying to promote yourself no, I, get I get it. it but i thought it was interesting that loma didn't even acknowledge him and moved right on but here's like, the hey, funny he, thing though because here fight first of all i think the luster was taken off by his loss i'm sorry for me the luster no, is taken I, off i agree with the that. listen that's i fair. know loma, that's the that's best fair. biggest fight to loma and i want loma and i want all fighters to make the most i say it again make the most money you can because anytime you go into a chamber that you can come out of with less of yourself make the most money you can I'm, I will be behind you, have been for 40 years doing this stuff. I'll continue, make the most you can. But I'm just saying for myself, I'm, you know, we're, we're keeping it real. And like I said, for the way representing what we think 
we need to represent to the fans our opinion. Um, for me, the lust has been taken off for Garcia fight after the way that he got undressed. That's fair. By, you know, by, by Spence. Um, but, uh, the Lopez fight, the funny thing about that is that that fight probably couldn't be made anyway because, you know, the, you got the two different promoters on different sides of the streets. And that's what it's about nowadays. Uh, you can't make fights that you want to make that the fans want because you got to promote on this side of the street, promote on it. And they're going to stay with their network. They're going to stay with their network and they're not going to get together. They're going to tell you a lot of baloney at the end of the day. They're not getting together because they don't control both sides. So chances of that fight on. Good, but the Lopez fight, even if it's not a deserving fight, yep, there's a better chance because it's the same promoter. He controls both guys. So, but the guy Lopez is green behind the ears. He's got power. He's strong. A lot of guys got power. Strong. Hey, no doubt about it. Javante Davis has power. You know, he's in a he's a junior lightweight, but he could easily go up to lightweight. He's got power too. Power and punches are made are not made. They are born. They are not made. They are special. But. It takes more than power to beat a guy like Lomachenko, you know. He knows how to disarm. He knows how to disarm guys. He knows how to take bombs apart. Take the, the wires out where it's not a bomb no more. But the one thing I like about Lopez is unlike some guys but he who seem to be afraid, he seems like he wants that fight. He He's calling for it. But he's going to get paid more than most. That's right. So that's part of it. That's Again, that's, that's I, say it. I completely I get agree. It. I get I, the competitiveness. I get the heart. I get that he'll go in there, but he's, he knows he'll get paid more for that fight too. He has but, me convinced he thinks he but, can win. All right. And that makes fine. it interesting. And listen, maybe he does because that's what you're supposed to believe when you've been brought up as a fighter and he's been brought up as a fighter and, and it's in your core and, and, you know, you're trained to believe that. Okay. But, but that's what managers are for. That's where somebody's for say, well, wait a minute. You're acting like a fighter should act, but as a manager, you're not ready. That's what managers are for. Right. That's where a manager comes in. That's what commissions are for, where commissions are supposed to. They don't do a great job too often, but they, <laughs> to they're supposed the to step in and say, I can't sanction this fight. Yeah. But I want it. Well, I know you want it. You're going to get paid and you want it because it's an easier fight for your side. I get it, but I'm a commissioner and the fight can't be made because it's not an even fight. And, that's what managers are for in this case, to say better judgment, to say, listen, I know you want the fight. I know you believe. Beautiful. In two years, a year and a half, whatever. But he hasn't been tested. He hasn't been developed enough to really handle this fight. Maybe he can. You never know. Yeah. But but on, on the things that we judge these things by, right? Yep. We have to judge them by something. He hasn't had the experience to know the most important thing. To go through the fire, to enter the furnace, to find out what you are, to find out, to answer questions. Questions not for you, not for me, not for these guys, not for you guys. No, no. Questions for themselves. Do I belong? Am I ready? Can I handle this? Every fighter has to have that fight to answer those questions. They all have to have it. And... Lopez hasn't had it yet. And until you have it, you might think you're ready. But then you get in there with a guy like Lomachenko. He doesn't care about your power. He knows how to take that away. He knows that how to shove that up. <laughs> you know where. <laughs> he doesn't care about such things. And then when that power is not of use anymore, 
when you can't use it like a bat to beat the heck out of a ball, you can't, you can't hit that. Then what do you have? What do you have then? You have a problem. You have emptiness. You have despair. You have no hope. And you're in the ring. And you still got plenty of rounds. Mm-hmm. And you realize, I wasn't ready. See? You fell down. I wasn't <laughs> down ready. Down goes Frazier. I wasn't ready. Yep. And it's too late. Yep. So you try to do things before you get to that point so it's not too late. Yep. That's what you try to do. And Crawler didn't seem to have like a, a sound plan, if any. But one guy who did have a plan was Dennis Hogan in against Jaime Munguia Absolutely. You, in you are so right. Go ahead. Mexico. And I'll be honest with you, coming into this fight, there were so many fights on last weekend. It was the one fight that I watched after the fact. And I only because I thought Munguia was just going to run him over in Mexico. I didn't give Hogan a snowball's chance in hell. And he showed us why the ring is the chamber of truth because it doesn't matter what you think or I think or anyone else thinks. He got in there and had a plan. And Jaime Munguia probably is a much better technical fighter in a lot of respects. No, he's not. But Dennis Hogan. No, he's not. Dennis Hogan had a game plan and he kept upsetting the rhythm of Munguia. Yes. And I'll let you take it from here. What'd you see in that fight? I, listen, it was a I very controversial decision. Some people thought it was that Hogan got robbed. I didn't necessarily see it as a complete I didn't uh, feel a total rob- away, ro- robbery, but no, take, listen, it away, take it away. Listen, first of all, you set it up and you set it, you set it right. You said it right, and you segued into it perfect. One guy didn't have a plan, this guy had a plan. No doubt about it. But the plan didn't disrupt the other guy's technique. What the plan did was it disrupted the other guy's power. See, that's the one thing the other guy – you know who the other guy McGee is? You know who he is for me? He is a miniature George Foreman, young George <laughs> Foreman. Yeah, and think about it. Visualize yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, All right? You're my partner. You guys say yes anyway. <laughs> no, you don't. Listen. This is but the chamber of truth. Of course. I, I know it. Or the, uh, yes, I got it. I got it, even when it comes back on you. But but seriously, he, to me, is a miniature George Foreman, a young George Foreman coming out into the pros, out of the Olympics, winning a gold medal, big George. And it was all about brute force, a little intimidation, you know, power. But not great technique. Hey, he's a heavyweight. You don't have to have his good technique. Gotcha. But but uh, he was no alley, whole different guy. I get it. But not great technique. Just 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 great power, and and presence and confidence, and you felt it, and they felt it, and a lot of guys were intimidated before they got in the ring with him because of that. You know, the same way Sonny Liston, years and years before, who was a better fighter, by the way. Sonny Liston was a really good fighter. Love A lot of problems, but really a good, really good fighter. But he intimidated guys. He had that power, kind of like George Foreman before George Foreman. And so, to me, this middleweight champion, McGee, am I pronouncing his name properly? Yeah. Who beat Saddam Ali for the title, who shouldn't have been in the ring with him because Ali was too small. But that's another thing. He, he's like, again, he's like a small version of Foreman. He's a middleweight version of a young Foreman. Big, strong, you know, presence, everything, but not great technique. A lot of holes, a lot of holes, baby. And to the credit of Hogan, he exposed that. 
And he filled those holes, baby. He, he, you know, he knew, well, the guy's big and strong. So what do you do against Foreman? You should move a little bit, you know, keep him off balance a little bit, you know, and don't let him be set to punch. So what did he do? He moved. He moved, moved really beautifully. Hogan did. He moved. He kept him off balance. And then what do you do? Then you attack from angles. Then you, then you pot shot in spots. And he did all of that. And he was able to catch Mungia. A lot. And he was able to have a lot of success. Now, there's holes in Hogan, too. There's a reason why he's an underdog. You know, McGee was able to, there was plenty of opportunities when Hogan was coming from too far away where you could see McGee was looking to time him. He was a little late sometimes, but sometimes he was able to time him. Where he could time him coming in. He could time him going back. You know, things like that. What he should have done was Foreman what he didn't get enough credit for was that jab. You don't think of a big lumbering guy as having a good jab, but my God, he had a lumberjack jab. He had a tree trunk and he took someone's tree from their yard and he put it into his, a test to his shoulder and it became his jab. It was, it was a foam pole. Yeah. And, and Foreman went boom. And he could, if he had a guy moving like that, he could hit him in the chest, stabilize the guy. That's what McGee should have done. Yeah. But he had, so I didn't think it was a robbery from what I saw. I didn't see the whole fight, but from what I saw, it wasn't wrong, but it was a c- competitive fight. And I think people, when they saw a competitive fight with a guy that they, in their mind, thought was going to blow the other guy out. Yeah. Like you thought. No, that's exactly right. That they start thinking, we're human, right? Yep. You start thinking, oh, I'm watching something here, which you are, that's not supposed to happen, which is true. And the guy must be winning. Because if he's still alive, right? <laughs> exactly. He must be winning. He's still here. He hasn't been squashed like a grape, right? He must be winning. So I think that a lot of people saw that. And look, there was a lot of reason to make you think if you want to think that way. I just said it. He was scoring a lot, Hogan and Spots, but it wasn't that kind of just one way. The other guy was having control too, McGee, where he could catch him coming in and, you know, it's not like he was being whitewashed by by uh, a guy pitching a shutout on him where he couldn't touch the guy. He was touching the guy, but not as clean as he wanted to and as people thought he would. But at the end of the day, I think it brought home the fact that Hogan exposed McGee a little bit for being a guy who's a big, strong, young guy, but he's still raw. He's very raw. That's, I think that was the biggest takeaway for me wasn't the storyline coming out of it, in my opinion, wasn't, oh my God, it was such a controversial decision. It was, oh my God, Munguia got exposed because I didn't see, I didn't think Dennis Hogan coming in there was going to put that kind of, put up that kind of fight. And I think he really showed some holes in Munguia's game. Now, Munguia also struggled to make that weight and says he's probably not fighting at that weight again. And, uh, uh, Hogan landed a big shot in the 11th round and staggered him. And I think it's, sca- I think it put quite a scare in him. And I think that that's kind of a bit of an overriding theme when people are looking at it as a, um, controversial decision. Cause the kid did score at times, but I did think that, you know, he's fighting in Mexico. You're fighting in the guy's hometown. He's the champion. The close rounds, I think. I don't want to hear that. Okay. Because but that's making an excuse. That's excusing. When we start going down that road, and I get it, it's part of the road that's been paved in history of boxing for years. You got to take it from the champion and all that stuff. I get it. Hey, please, 
if, if Tiger Woods didn't shoot what he shot in the Masters, would he have gotten it because he's Tiger Woods? Would, would they gave him a extra three strokes? No! Oh, oh, but he's Tiger Woods and he's won four green jackets or five before. So you gotta take it from Tiger. No! You gotta put the ball in the hole more than Tiger does. Well, boxing should be the same. So I don't want to hear that crap. I am so tired of that crap. I'm keeping it clean because, you know, I want to keep it, but I, I you get it. You get what yeah. I'm saying. I am tired of that excuse that that when boxing goes and robs a kid that deserves to win a fight, that, oh, he, he, he you got to take it from the – if you win, you win. And that's the way it should be in life. And that's the way it should be in my sport, in boxing. You win, you win. Shouldn't be excused. Oh, well, you win his hometown, and, uh, and, and you know he's a champion. You didn't take it from the champion. Yeah. No, I don't. I like, agree with no, the home, no. home and I get it. Hometown. And that really happens. I get it that it does happen, and that's why we say it. But it shouldn't be. But if you have a reason, along, we shouldn't go along with it. We shouldn't go along with. It. We should say we're tired. We're fed up. Open the windows. Scream, you boxing fans. Open the windows. Go, go outside. Open your and scream. I had enough. I I had enough because I don't want. Any more of this crap where you can rob somebody and you say, oh, he was with the wrong promoter or he was. A no, I don't want to hear. Get it right. That's fair. Let Get me, it right. Let me ask you a question. If you're judging a fight and you've got a razor thin round and it's the fight is close and, and you're judging. Make it an even round. Perfect. That's what I wanted to know. You don't give any advantage to the fact that one guy is the champion and he maybe gets a slight you advantage. Better not. You, okay. You shouldn't. All right. How you feel? If you were a kid who worked your whole freaking life, you gave up proms, you gave up Christmases, you gave up holidays, all those things to be in the gym for one moment, and you finally get to that moment. You're the underdog. You don't care. You know that you're ready to win. And you get in that ring, and you give it your all, and you win the freaking fight. And somebody gave rounds to the other guy. That could have went to you, should have went to you, but they gave them to him on the premise that, well, they were fairly close, so I'll give it to the champion. You wouldn't feel too damn good when it's all over, and you wouldn't know if you'd ever get back to that spot again, would you? Yep. No. You wouldn't be able to hear it, would you, from somebody saying, well, you know, the guy's the champ, so you probably could have won it, but I gave it to him. Maybe next time, buddy. Well, Ted, that sounds like a good place to uh, wrap this one. Um, thanks for being with us. Teddy, thanks for your time. Appreciate it as always. And uh, look forward to seeing you in the future. Buy me some tokens. <laughs> I'll get your Metro well, card. A Metro card. That's what it's called. Right?